0: Take your Bibles, go to 1 Kings chapter 5, and I just want to make a quick comment before we look into this about that uh, letter that Chris read. You know, one of the most Christ-like things that anybody can do is to help and serve somebody that cannot help you back. It's one of the most Christ-like things that you can do. So obviously, I would expect everybody here to pray, at the very least, for him. Um, But I I think it would be wonderful to be able to have some people that maybe could just reach out and just an encouraging card or a letter or something. And I'm going to do my part, of course, in trying to reach out to him as well. And who knows? You know, the Lord could use that, this whole thing to bring him to church and change his life. And the gospel can do that. So we ought to take part in uh, just being used by God in that way. If, you know, just pray about it and see what the Lord would have you do and then talk to Chris. 1 Kings chapter 5. I've made comments like this before, but it's so true. You know, sometimes when you're going through uh, the Old Testament, and especially in Kings, or sometimes, man, you just, you just struggle with looking at it and finding, okay, what are the implications of this passage? What, what can we learn from the passage? But as I've said many times, and Scripture teaches us, that uh, every, every part of the Bible has been given for our learning, right? Every part of the Bible has been given for us. And um, chapter 5 of this book it focuses on the political dealings and the building activities of Solomon. But uh, in the midst of all of it, we find many valuable lessons. And uh, I love it when, you know, you have a plan uh, initially, early in the week. And then as you dig in more and, and you read and you study, and then God just takes your plan and just shatters it, you know. And uh, it just goes in not a different direction, but it just goes, there's just so much in the Bible that you can learn Uh, just from certain phrases in the Bible. Uh, What what we're going to see tonight, and we're going to just only get through four verses, but uh, we're going to see from verse 1 to 4 the desire of David, and we're going to see how uh, it was his desire to do a very great work of building the temple, but it wasn't God's plan. It was David's plan, and it was something that he wanted to do, and it was a wonderful thing to do, but it was not God's will for him to do it. And there's much to be said just with that, as we'll see. And probably next week, in verse 5, we'll see the determination of Solomon. And the fact that, uh, while it was not God's plan for David to build the temple, it was his plan for Solomon to build it. And Solomon was determined to accomplish it. And uh, it was a great goal to be accomplished. And then, from verse 6 to the end of the chapter, verse 18, we're going to see the dedication to quality. And not only was Solomon determined... To build the temple, it was he was really determined to do it very well. And we should all take that lesson as a fact that anything that we do for the Lord should be done very well. Amen. And we'll see that again in time. But let's go ahead and read 1 Kings chapter 5. Look at verse 1. It says, And King Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent his servants unto Solomon. For he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father. For Hiram was ever a lover of David. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, "Thou knowest how David my father could not build an house unto the name of the Lord his God for the wars which were about him on every side until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for every word in this book. I pray, Lord, that you'll just give us exactly what we need. We know that as we go through uh, this book, you know exactly what each person in here needs, and I pray that you'll uh, meet that need. Help us to be engaged in listening and, and seeking you uh, as we go through the book of First Kings. And I pray, Lord, that you'll uh, give me the right words to say, help me to say exactly what you want, and uh, uh, just speak through me. I pray that your Holy Spirit will do its work. In your holy name, amen. This chapter here begins by informing us of a political dealing that's taking place between King Solomon and uh, King Hiram of Tyree. And if you don't know, at this time, uh, Tyree was the most important port city in the Mediterranean. So this meeting or this dealing that was taking place had the capability of being very uh, beneficial for Israel, and it would end up being so, as we'll see later on. But verse 1, it tells us that uh, King Hiram, he was, a, he was a lover of David. Now this relationship really appears to be more of a political and a treaty type relationship than anything else. But this past relationship would really bode well for Solomon in these negotiations as he goes back and forth with the king. Let's look again at at verse 2. It says, And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest how that David my father could not build an house under the name of the Lord his God for the wars which were about him on every side, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. So Solomon here, he tells Uh, King Hiram that David was unable to build a temple for the Lord and there's a lot to be said about just all that and more than what just appears on the surface. I want you to understand tonight that uh, David did not just wake up one day and think man you know what it'd be pretty cool to just be able to build a permanent house for God. Maybe I should do it. He didn't just wake up one day with that thought and then Uh, You know, once he gets down to the end of his life, it just didn't happen to work out. No, David, he genuinely and immensely wanted to see the temple of the Lord be built. And he really wanted to be part of this project. Let's go to Psalm chapter 132. Psalm chapter 132. Psalm 132. And look at verse 1. Psalm 132, verse 1. Know what it says here. It says in verse 1, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he sware unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. So, We see in this passage, that, as we often do in the book of Psalms, that David was in a bit of distress and it was very clear uh, that he was bothered by the fact that God had no permanent dwelling place. He felt guilt as he had a dwelling place for himself that was permanent and uh, while God, his dwelling place, was a portable tent. That bothered David. He didn't think it was right. Uh, for himself to live in a fine palace with many pleasures, while God, who's deserving of everything, goes without. And you know, that just speaks to the love, the genuine love, that David had for God. He believed that he was capable of doing this for God, and uh, because he loved God, he genuinely wanted to do it. I want to ask you this evening, do you love God? Do you genuinely love God to the point that you genuinely want to do something great for Him? I want you to imagine, if you will, that you owned a very nice home, a very large home, and maybe you do. If you do, that's great, but if not, let's just pretend for a moment, okay? You you have a very nice and large home, and your child, they, they get out on their own, they're working very hard, and they decide to get an apartment, and the apartment that they get is all that they can afford, and they're trying to save money. And, and one day, you go to this apartment, you know, just to, to visit them, and you notice that it's in a very bad neighborhood. You look on the floor, and there's holes all through it. And it's infested with squirrels and mice and all those lovely things. None of the appliances work properly. It's loud at night with partying all around with the neighbors, and it's a very unpleasant place to live. Now, as a parent, With this nice house that you have and very large home, most parents would be more than willing to help their child, especially if they're trying to help themselves, especially if they're trying to work hard. And a parent that can help their child even when they're grown, yet they refuse to do it, would be puzzling to most people. And many parents say even help their children when they don't work hard and they don't try to help themselves, let alone when they do. Now, I use that illustration and, and that point to simply ask you this, if you are capable of helping the work of God go forth and to take care of the needs of the church, then why wouldn't you do it? Amen. If you can give above your tithes to missions, or you can give towards a building project that we have, or you can help somebody that's in need, why wouldn't you do it? If you can serve in the church, if you can give of your time and you can serve Christ, then why would you not do it? Understand that every resource and every ability that you have as a Christian comes from God. And if we have a financial need or we see a financial need or uh, we have a serving need and we can help, then shouldn't we love God enough to just do it? Shouldn't we love God enough so that he doesn't have to twist our arm to get us to do something for him? Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And look at verse 27. And verse 28. Proverbs chapter 3. And we know that Solomon wrote much of the book of Proverbs. And look at what it says in verse 27. It says, withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. let me stop right there. It's not saying in any way, of somebody that's necessarily deserving or they owe you. Look at verse 28. Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. This is speaking of the poor that needs help, but also anybody that comes across our path in our life that is in need. And when I, when I read this and when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of James chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, where it talks about your brother or your sister in Christ that is naked and in destitute of food. It's somebody that's in need and how useless it is to say, hey, be warm and be filled. In other words, here I, I can meet needs, but I'm praying for you. Go on your way. That's wrong. Amen. If you are able to help somebody and you know they are in need at this church... You need to help them. And this is, again, it's applicable to areas of service. It's applicable to the needs of the church. If the church needs somebody to step up in service and and you can do it, we need to love God enough to just do it. If the church has a financial need and God's blessed you financially, then we should be thankful to God for what he's given us and love him enough to give back to him as he leads us to do it. But David here, he was so bothered by the fact that he had such a fine palace and he was such a sinful man. While the perfect and the pure and holy God, he went without. So he was determined to do everything that he could to see God's house be built. I'll tell you what, if God's people cared about his house a fraction as much as David did, there would be no church that has any financial struggle ever. I thank God that we don't have that problem at this church, we don't have financial struggles. The Lord is certainly blessed, and we have a great group of people. Uh, overall, we're a very giving church, but, you know, down the road, we're going to have a time where we're going to need to build. You all know that we've been doing this. Uh, we have the blueprints made up, and I actually pinned it out in my office, uh, just of the building project, that someday the Lord, uh, as, he, as he leads us, that we're going to do. And look, when that happens, it's not just going to happen. It's, it's a work that's not going to happen apart from God's people doing their part as they are led by him and as they are able. Now, I've heard of people before uh, where there's been church building projects and there were church members that took it so seriously. And I, I, maybe I even heard about, about that here before. But they took it so seriously that they made sacrifices. Sacrifices. Just like David's talking about making sacrifices. And uh, they would cut down on their grocery bill or they would get rid of subscriptions or they would pinch pennies to see the work of God advance. And I'm not saying necessarily that whenever we get to that point that that has to happen here. But you know, a majority of Christians would not even be willing to give up their McDonald's for once a week in order to see the work of God advance and to give a little extra to God because we care more about ourselves than the things of God. And it's very unfortunate. But David, he was willing to make sacrifices. I mean, again, look at what he said in Psalm 132. He desired to see God's house built, so do we love God that much? In David's time, these heathen nations and these pagans, they had temples that were dedicated to them. So really, in David's love for God, he, he knew that it was only right for there to be a temple that was dedicated to the one true God. You know, if all these pagan temp, uh, these pagan gods, if they had a temple, then why wouldn't the true God, the one true God, have a temple for worship? But I want to take note here that David, he didn't only desire to see the temple be built; he worked to see it happen. He worked to see it happen. You know, sometimes people have desires and they uh, they want to do something, and then they really they they hope to see great things happen, but they don't they don't have a desire that's strong enough to drive them to work for it. Just for example, uh, you may desire to lose 20 pounds. You may desire to get up earlier so that you can get more accomplished. You may desire to spend less time on your phone so that you can be more productive, but actually doing it is a whole nother battle. But David, he desired, and he didn't just desire, but he worked to see this happen. Let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. We're gonna go back to this in a little bit here, but look at first Chronicles twenty-two, look at verse fourteen. It says in verse fourteen, David, speaking to Solomon, said, Now, behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord in hundred thousand talents of gold, and a thousand thousand talents of silver, and a brass and iron without weight. For it is in abundance, timber also, and stone have I prepared that thou mayest add there too. And again, we're going to go back to this later because this was part of David's final words to Solomon, and, and he was speaking to him about building the temple. But we read here that David, he he worked towards seeing the temple of God built. Well, how did he do that? He set aside gold. He set aside silver. He set aside brass, and he set aside iron and timber for the house of God. And I want you to understand that he didn't just set aside a very small amount. It wasn't just a tiny amount, but it was a large sum. It was a large amount. When I was looking at this, I did some calculations, and I was like, wait a minute, what?" (laughs) We see here 100,000 talents of gold. Today, that would be, let me read this here, around 3,750 tons of gold. Can you imagine? Now, that's 7.5 million pounds. Now, we don't know what the value of gold was in that time. It could have been much more. It could have been less. I don't know, but if it was, if it was today... The the amount of gold that was would be worth over $206 billion. And David didn't just say, here's the gold and here's the silver. Now you have enough. No, he said, go get more. (laughs) $206 billion just in gold. And then this uh, thousand thousands talents, this is a million talents of silver. So this would be 37,500 tons or $75 pounds of silver, which today, again, we don't really know what the exact amount would be, if it was close to it or not, but if it was today, that's $17 billion worth of silver. That's a lot. And and this is incredible, but on top of all that, an untold amount of brass, and iron, and timber, and stone. So David, he desired and worked towards building the temple, and he saved up because he really wanted to see this be completed. But despite his desire, despite his hard work, and despite his planning to see this temple of God built, as I mentioned in the beginning, it was not God's will for it to happen in David's lifetime. It wasn't God's plan for David to do it. Let's go back to our text, 1 Kings. I want you to just kind of be patient with me because I'm, we're setting something up here. In 1 Kings chapter 5, look at verse 2 again. It says, And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest how David, that David my father could not build an house unto the name of the Lord, for the Lord is God, for the wars which were about him on every side, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. Now, uh, Hiram was familiar with with the fact that David was unable to accomplish this task. And that's revealed to us in 2 Samuel chapter 7. But the reason that David didn't accomplish this task, it had nothing to do with the lack of passion for this project. Because, understand, he was very passionate about seeing the house of God built. This did not fall through because David lacked materials, and he didn't work hard enough to get them, because we know that he did work very hard to get them, and he had plenty of materials. It wasn't due to a lack of effort. It didn't happen uh, to be the case that that he just, you know, he was half-hearted about trying to see this happen. No, it didn't happen because God had plans for David, and building the temple wasn't it. So Solomon tells Hiram here that the reason that David didn't build it was because there was no peace. There was constant wars, but David did actually have a time of peace, and, and in this time of peace, he did Uh, expressed the desire to build a temple, as 2 Samuel 7, verse 1 says, David said, The Lord hath uh, given me rest round about my enemies. So the reason that David didn't build it, again, it was because God didn't want him to, but why didn't God want him to? Well, God tells David why you can't build the temple. Let's go back to 1 Chronicles 22. As David's explaining this whole thing to Solomon, he tells him why he wasn't able to build the temple, as God revealed it to him. Look at verse 7, and look at verse 8 as well. First Chronicles 22, verse 7, it says, And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build in house unto the name of the Lord my God. Now there it is again. He had a desire to do it. Look at verse 8. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house into my name, because thou have shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. God's plan for David was to do exactly what he did. He wanted him to conquer. He wanted him to do what he did. And it was not his plan to see the temple built by David. Now again, he expresses the desire to do it as he was on the verge of death. And in, again, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to look in a little bit. We learn that David asked the prophet Nathan if he could build the house of the Lord. Nathan said, hey, do what's in your heart. Do it. Go ahead. Build the temple of the Lord. But as he originally told him to go for it, then Nathan was given a word from the Lord and God said no. God told David that while it was not his plan to have him build it, it was his plan for his son to build the temple. Look at verse 9 of 1 Chronicles 22. He said, Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest and peace. And I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish a throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So here David is after all these years, as he's, as he's on the, the verge of death, and he was explained to Solomon the plan that God had, and he let Solomon know from the very beginning, before you were even born, God, he knew that you were going to be the one to build this temple. And I want to point out here that at the end of David's life, he was not angry that God did not allow him to build it. And remember, he was very desirous. He was consumed with this desire to build a temple, but he was not upset with God at the end of his life for not allowing him to do it. But what was his initial reaction? Let's go and look at it at 2 Samuel. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. And again, in in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he asked the prophet Nathan, he's like, man, I really want to build this house for uh, for God. God's worthy of it. Nathan says, go ahead and do it. Then he comes back and tells uh, David, no, you're not supposed to do that. And look at verse 17. of 2 Samuel chapter 7. And this is what he was told. He said, according to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak to David. So Nathan comes back to David tells him, tells him this. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord and said, I'm sorry, I've got to go back. Look at verse 12. It says, when thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name. Again, Solomon. And I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. So I just want to pause here for a moment. God told David, no, you cannot build the temple. Your son's going to build the temple. And again, years later, his reaction and, and the way that he dealt with it was with grace, and he, was, he wasn't upset about it, he wasn't angry about it, but let's see his initial reaction here in verse 17. He says, according to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. And then went King David in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come, and this is the manner of man, Lord, O Lord God. And what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord, knowest my servant. For thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart, hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Wherefore, thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name, and to do great things, and terrible for thy land, before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people, to Israel to be a people unto thee forever, and thou, Lord, art become their God. And now, O Lord, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever, and do as thou hast said. And let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee a house. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God. And thy words be true and thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore, now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord, hast spoken it, and with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. So look, church, after David was told by God, you are not going to accomplish this great and noble work that you so desire to do, he didn't put up a fight, he didn't get upset, He did not try to explain to God why he should be the one to build the temple. He did not disapprove of what God said and disapprove of God's plan. Instead, he prays a prayer of worship to God and thanksgiving, and he accepts what God had said. Did you pick up on that? God, if that's what you want, let it be. So be it. Despite the fact that he so desired to do a great thing for God, and despite the fact... That David saw that need and he just genuinely wanted to do it. God made it clear that it was not for him to do. And in David's response, we find what every child of God should do when God says no to even our most righteous desires. That's right, amen. We should worship. Yeah. Amen. Hey, listen. When God says no to your most righteous desire, What do you do? You worship. I tell you what, there are many godly people that desire many good and virtuous and even righteous things, but sometimes God in his sovereign plan says no. And sometimes it's hard. I know that there are people that have abandoned the faith because God said no, To their most earnest and good desires. Which shows you where their faith and how strong it was and where it lied. But what about you? You know our church has many hurting people in it. It does. And there are some hurts and some struggles that I know about. And there are some hurts and some struggles that I don't. But as you are here, and if you're in, this, in a time of struggle, in a time of pain, and as you earnestly pray to God to fix things, could it be that he is saying no? Could it be that he's saying no, and it's going to stay that way? You know, that's one thing that really bothers me, About and we've talked about this before, about the prosperity gospel. Oh, if you have enough faith, this will happen. Oh, if you have enough faith, that will happen. You don't know what God's sovereign plan is or what his will is for your life. He might not want that problem to get fixed. So if he says no, and if he's saying no, what are you supposed to do? Worship. And let me tell you this, don't wait to worship God and just be like, well, you know, when everything's fixed and everything's great and my life is just, you know, I'm on top of the world and everything's wonderful, then I'll worship because guess what? Then you may never worship. Worship now. Praise him now. Thank God now. Love God now. Whether you have an earnest desire that you're currently praying for or you have in the past or you will one day, what if God is saying no or what if he says no? What are you going to do then? We know what we should do, but what are you going to do? Listen, what if God does not heal that loved one? What if he doesn't save your marriage? What if God doesn't give you that new job or that new promotion despite you desperately needing that money? What if he does not save that lost person that you pray for every single day? What if he doesn't allow you to see that great miracle that you are constantly praying for? What are you supposed to do then? You don't name it and claim it. You worship. You proclaim as David did. Who am I, O Lord? What do I know? I don't know anything, God. You're in control. Thou art great, O God. There's none like you. Neither is there any God beside thee. Let thy name be magnified forever. You worship. And you may say, oh, that's so hard. Yes, it is so hard. But like Paul, we need to realize that his grace is sufficient. Rather than allow God's will being played out in our life to shatter our faith. Church, listen, we need to allow it to drive us to have the right response as David did and allow it to build our faith. He worshipped. Now what's interesting about this whole thing is that David did not only worship and accept God's will, he was determined to help his son Solomon accomplish this task because it was all for God's glory anyway. Let's go to 1 Chronicles again, 22. 1 Chronicles 22. Look at verse 11. First Chronicles 22, verse 11. And we'll read down to the end of the chapter. David said to Solomon, he said, Now, my son, the Lord be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God, as he hath said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding, and give thee charge concerning Israel, that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then shalt thou prosper... If thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgment which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel, be strong and of a good courage, dread not, nor be dismayed. Now behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand thousand talents of silver and a brass and of iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and the stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work of the gold the silver the brass the iron there is no number arise therefore and be doing and the lord god the lord be with thee david also commanded all the princes of israel to help Solomon his son saying is not the lord your god with you And hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the the inhabitants of the land into mine hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise therefore, and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord, to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. This is wonderful. He gave Solomon all that he had saved, He told him of all his plans. He helped him figure things out. He encouraged him in this great work. He instructed his servants to come alongside and help him. So David, he didn't just worship God when he said no. He didn't just accept God's plan in word only. He did everything that he could to follow what he knew was God's plan and God's will. So there's a few things that we can take away from this. For one... When God denies our desires, and, you know, instead of just living in the depths of despair by God's grace, we should just make the most out of it. Amen. Well, how do we do that? We look to Christ. No, David couldn't build the temple. Yes, he badly desired to do it, but he was not permitted by God to do it. But he made the most of the situation. He could, and he did bless Solomon. He could and he did make it easier on Solomon by giving him supplies. He could and he did give him encouragement. He could and he did command his servants to help him. David did not spend the rest of his life just moping around in the pit of despair waiting for his life to be over because God said no. He did what he could. He made the best of the situation. And if God is saying no to your righteous desire or even if he's telling you to wait, we must worship him. And again, make the best of the situation by looking to him and knowing that he knows best and just serve him faithfully anyway. Just serve him faithfully. We need to say with Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I will maintain mine own ways before him. We need to take comfort in the fact that we're justified if we have faith in Christ. And understand... If you're going through struggles in this life, or when you do go through struggles in this life, understand that life on earth is the worst that you're ever going to have it if you're in Christ. And isn't that a wonderful thought? As one writer said, for the saved, this present world is the closest that they will ever come to hell. But for the lost, it's the closest they will ever come to heaven. And so true. And if you don't have this peace of God that passes all understanding, come to Christ tonight and get it. But the second takeaway is that while it was David's desire to see the temple built, and he worked to see it through, only to have uh, Solomon get the full joy of seeing this glorious and, uh, temple constructed and completed, he was okay with that. And this really reminded me of the mysterious way that God works in the ministry, and the mysterious way that he works in salvation. Listen, you may pray for the soul of one who is lost that you love. You may witness to them. Frequently, you may fast for them for years only to die and never see it happen or maybe even have somebody else have the privilege of leading them to follow Christ. Now, David understood that this temple, it was not for his glory, but it was for God's glory. And therefore, it didn't matter who built it as long as it got built. So as you faithfully witness, as you faithfully pray, for the loss, and you reach out to the loss, and you know, those friends and those co-workers and those family members, and you and, and you just do that as you are commanded by God to do it, remember that you must do it for Him alone. Amen. Now I'll say this if you're not actively being a verbal witness for Christ, then you're in disobedience and you need to start seeking sinners. We can't be complacent in such a serious and biblical matter. It's all through scripture. We need to, to witness to people and tell them about Christ. And I echo the words of Spurgeon as he said, God save us from living in comfort while sinners around us are sinking into hell. Listen, church, listen close. I want you to ask yourself a very serious question. Do you genuinely care for the lost? Has your heart gotten so cold that you've forsaken your responsibility as a Christian to bear the name of Christ and profess him to the lost? In your everyday life, at your job, with your family? Do you really care? Hey, it's great that you're saved. Praise God. What about everybody else? What about everybody else? It's very likely that some people, you may be sitting here tonight and you haven't witnessed a single lost soul or even handed a track to somebody in weeks and it hasn't bothered you in the slightest. That should bother you. And if it doesn't bother you, that should bother you too. That's a tragedy. And if that's where you're at, you to say, "Well, oh, you're being hard." Well, listen, just seek God and ask Him to give you His heartbeat for reaching yeah. lost souls, because that's what He desires. Yeah. He seeks and He saves those who are lost. He wants to see people come to know Christ. But for those of you who are faithful in witnessing and you do it for Christ, just remember that if you witness and you fast and you pray for somebody and you, and you really try to reach them for Christ, and guess what? Somebody else ends up reaching them for Christ? Praise the Lord anyway. Just as Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Hey, newsflash, it's not about you. I know we we get caught up in that and we get caught up in numbers like, man, I would love to see, you know, to have a certain amount of people saved in a year and I really want, you know, them put to my account. Well, guess what? You have a part in it if you're giving them the gospel, whether they trust Christ in that moment that you're sitting with them sharing it, or they do it down the road with somebody else. Look, if you, if you witness to somebody for years and then they, they go to a gospel preaching church in our town, in our area, or out of state, and they get saved, praise God! Amen. It's awesome. It's not a competition. Right. We're on the same team. Yeah. Listen, if a church is preaching the gospel, man, praise God. Go get them. Mm-hmm. Keep doing the work. It's not a competition. We're doing it for God's glory, and David knew that it was the temple was to be built for God's glory. It wasn't for himself. That's why he was like, "Okay, God, I'm good with that. If you want Solomon to build a temple, so be it, as long as it gets built." But consider tonight: if God is denying your righteous desire, what's your response going to be? We know that He works all things for His good, but do we really believe that? Do we really live that out? in our day-to-day life? His grace is sufficient, but are you allowing it to be sufficient for you? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.